Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about when can I get my COVID vaccine is Cheryl Fallman. Cheryl has over 30 years of experience as a clinician and researcher in health policy, focusing on a variety of areas, including cost, access, and quality of care. Her research work has focused on developing and validating healthcare quality measures across different types of care. She has worked at a number of large research organizations that work with Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurers but her most important work has been helping people steer their way through the healthcare system. The presented content does not provide or constitute medical, financial, or legal advice. The content is for information purposes only. Viewing or listening to the content does not constitute a physician-patient, dentist-patient, fiduciary-client, or attorney-client relationship. How are you doing today, Cheryl? Fine. How are you doing today? Very very well. Thank you so much. I am looking forward. Welcome back. This is our third time together. So thank you for uh, for setting aside time. Um, okay. So before we get started, for those joining us for the live webinar, if you have any questions, type those questions in. Time permitting, we will do everything in our power to get those questions answered. So Cheryl, let you let's turn it over to you. When can I get my COVID vaccine? Well, it's not quite as simple as that. But here are a few <laughs> things that we're going to talk about today. So I'll. We'll talk a little bit about the current COVID-19 vaccines that are available in the U.S. Uh, we'll talk about some that are coming in the future because there's more coming down the pipeline. And as we go through this, I'm going to try and answer some of the questions people had already submitted. So I'm hoping that this will give everybody uh, plenty of information. And if nothing else, it'll give you something to think about. So right now, researchers around the world, or actually researchers in the U.S., are testing 64 different coronavirus vac vaccines in clinical trials in humans. Um, so right now, we're only going to talk about those that, in, that are available in the U.S. or ones that we know will be coming really soon. So the first one, I'm sure everyone has heard of this, but you may not have heard of the name, is, I don't even know how you pronounce it, it's the one from Pfizer and BioNTech. Um, on December 11th, 2020, the Food and Drug Administration gave Pfizer and BioNTech vaccine emergency use authorization. This means it was the first one that is available in the United States. Um, it was tested in over 40,000 people in the U.S. It has a 95% efficacy rate, which is an incredible rate. Um, the measles vaccine is only 75% effective. So this is even better than that. Um, what was nice about this one is that it shows the same level of protection regardless of your race. Um, whether you have conditions like obesity or diabetes, which puts you at high risk for severe COVID um, complications. And it, the other good thing is that people over 65 have the same level of protection as people under 65. Once you reach a certain age, your immune system doesn't work as effectively as when you were younger. So that's why this particular thing is really important. Now, the second vaccine that is currently available is called mRNA-1273. I know that's not a really sexy name, but at least I could pronounce this one. They have not given it an official brand name yet. So this one is 
is created by Madera and the National Institute of Health as part of Operation Warp Speed. So this one was authorized on December 18th, 2020 by the Food Administration. So it is now available in the U.S. Um, so this one was tested in 30,420 people in the U.S. It has a 94.1% efficacy rate. So as I said, as with the Pfizer vaccine, these have reached incredible levels of efficacy that we don't normally see with most other vaccines. Um, this one is good because it, as, as with the other one, it covers regardless of your race, regardless of your age. They also tested people who had other chronic conditions besides just obesity and diabetes. They, they included people with chronic lung disease and cardiac disease in their, in their trial. And it was effective for all of them. So which was, which is good. And it doesn't matter whether you're male or female. It's the same effect. The night, the interesting thing is this, this particular vaccine has now been registered to be a trial for people 12 to 18 years of age. So this means this will be the only one that is currently in trial for adolescents. There are still no vaccines in trial for children. So at this point, the children are not recommended to get it because no one knows how it's going to work with them. Now, I'm pretty sure that you're wondering, so what's the difference between these two? They sound kind of the same and they act kind of the same. And, you know, you're right. They are basically the same. The primary difference is in how they're stored and how they're administered. So, for example, the um, I'll move on to the next slide. Pfizer is three weeks apart. Modera is four weeks apart. But they both require two doses. So um, you have to get the two doses because the first one is only about 50% effective, so you need the second one to reach the 95%. So um, side effects, that is a question everyone always asks. Both of them can cause minor side effects. You know, you're tired, you have fever, you might have muscle aches. These may last a day, maybe two, but the one thing is they're telling you it's working. So that's the important thing. The other thing is, I'm sure you've heard that some people can have severe allergic reactions, which means they go into anaphylaxis. So this is the reason why they always want people to sit and wait for 15 minutes, for 10 to 15 minutes, um, because these reactions will occur almost immediately, but they can be treated really easily, um, but you need to be there to be treated. So um, the the CDC is encouraging people to use something called Vaccine Finder, which is vaccinefinder.org, as a national resource for finding shots. Um, right now, because there is a still limited supply of COVID vaccine, it is not listed in there, but that will only be a matter of time before that's changed. Once the vaccines become more available, you'll be able to use vaccinefinder.org 
and find out the, the, your, the closest place for you to get a vaccine. Now, the other thing that the CDC is doing is they have something called V-Safe. Now, this is a smartphone-based tool. It uses text messaging and web surveys to provide check-ins after you receive the COVID, vac COVID vaccination. You can also tell the CDC if you have any side effects from it. Um, and so depending on what your answers are, the CDC might actually reach out to you about it to find out a little bit more. So if you want to know more about this VSAFE, the website is www.cdc.gov slash coronavirus slash 2019-ncov slash vaccines slash safety slash vsafe.html. Now, people who registered for this had a number of questions about this whole process. And so uh, the first one was, why is the second, second shot needed so closely to the first? The second shot, you need to have the second shot because it helps your body produce more antibodies to fight COVID. Uh, for example, with the Pfizer vaccine, you can get some early protection by about 12 days, you know, and but it's only a 52% effective. You know, while that's good, it's not as good as if you have the second booster vaccine, it becomes 95% effective. So that's a great incentive to have the second shot. But, you know, sometimes it happens. Um, that you can't get it. It just means that you're not going to reach that 95% effectiveness level and you do leave yourself at risk for getting COVID-19. Now, another question I am regularly asked is about the long-term side effects of these vaccines. Now, generally, when vaccines are created, the drug trials run for a few years. So that allows the drug companies to find out whether there are any long-term side effects. Um, but one of the reasons the vaccines became available within a year, which let me tell you is a short time for vaccine development, is because the FDA gave the companies emergency use authorization. This means that the vaccines are available for use, but the drug companies are still following their trial volunteers to find out if there are any long-term side effects. What we know so far is that there aren't, but they've also been following them for less than a year. So now, how long do the vaccines actually work for? Well, as I said, no one knows the answer to this one either. Um, right now, the evidence shows that it will last at least a year. Um, but as I said, the drug companies are following their volunteers for at least another two years. So that'll help us figure out how long immunity actually lasts. So once you get your vaccine, you need to kind of keep an eye out for some of this stuff. Okay, now, who gets vaccines? This is the question everybody wants. And Jason and I were actually just talking about this. So right now, both of the 
places that we live in, we are still in category 1A, which means it's healthcare personnel and people who live in long-term care facilities. So if you're in an assisted living or a nursing home, you may have already received your first shot or you may know people who have. Some states uh, are now starting to move into category 1B, which is people over the age of 65, or over the age of 75, sorry, and some essential workers. So these are people like the, you know, the bus drivers, because we need them. The one thing with these categories is essential workers are defined by the states. So each state will have a different definition of what an essential worker is. So how they do that, how they define this will vary from state to state. Now, the next category of people are people who are 65 to 74 and people between 16 to 64 who have a high risk medical condition. So this is diabetes, um, potentially diabetes, cardiac disease, chronic lung disease, um, if you're immunocompromised, like you've had cancer. So, but as I said, this may vary from state to state. The CDC has not defined this high-risk medical conditions. They have left it up to the individual states. And the final group within this tier of 1C are other essential workers. So these may include grocery store workers, um, you know, the people who work at the gas stations, your mechanic. And the final category is all other people over the age of 16. Now, as I mentioned before, none of the vaccines have been tried out in children. So as of right now, they are no, there are no recommendations for vaccinating anyone under the age of 16. So children will not be vaccinated. Um, your local health department is the group that determines how your vaccines are distributed. Um, now, to find out what your particular state is doing, um, the CDC has created a website that allows you to link, th link through to your state. So it's www.cdc.gov slash coronavirus slash 2019 ncov slash vaccines slash index dot html. Now, I I've had a couple people ask me, how come the federal government did all this work to put out guidelines, and then each state still gets to choose what they do. Unfortunately, there was no coordinated federal response um, for how the vaccines were to be administered. So the best that the CDC could do was put out guidelines on the priorities of who gets it first, but states are still allowed to make their own decisions. Uh, for example, Maryland is following these uh, guidelines and they're in category 1A right now, whereas Florida has created their own guidelines and opened up the vaccines to anyone over the age of 65. They had a different priority. And you know, why? Why do some states seem to be doing a better job of getting vaccines to their residents than other states? Valid question. A lot of it has to do with the existing 
public health infrastructure within the state and how much money the state government is putting towards the rollout. Um, the, the other issue with this is states didn't officially know that they were going to be responsible for the rollout until October or November. And by then, it's hard to build out the needed infrastructure in a month or two because you're talking about vaccinating millions of people. Um, there was money included in the second HEROES Act that was passed by the House in May. Unfortunately, the bill wasn't passed by the Senate, so nothing happened. And when the second stimulus bill passed in December, there was limited money in there for vaccinations. So right now, a lot of it is dependent upon the state um, and where you live. So the other thing is, you know, there really isn't much difference between these two vaccines and the technology behind them and how they work are basically the same. The major difference between the two vaccines is how they're transported and how they're stored. You know, you both, you, you both get two shots anywhere from three to four weeks apart. You know, so it's pretty similar. Now, what vaccines are coming? Now, this is the important part. As I mentioned earlier, there were 64 different vaccines that are currently under trial in, in the U.S. The one that is most interesting, at least to me, and the one that's coming up next is one by Johnson & Johnson. Now, the good thing about this one is this can be stored in a regular refrigerator. Because I'm sure everyone has heard about how Pfizer has to be stored in an ultra refrigerator. So it is like 90 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. I mean, that's not a regular refrigerator. And once you take it out of that condition, it's only good for a short period of time. Um, the Modera one is better because it can be stored in a regular freezer. So that makes storage a little bit easier, but this one can be stored in a regular fridge. So why things like this make a difference is if you live in a big city, it's not a problem. But if you live in a small town where you don't have access to these kind of facilities, the fact that it can be stored in a regular refrigerator makes it much easier for you to use it. So. The results are actually expected late next week for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So they'll make an application at that point in time to the FDA. So we expect sometime in February that this one may, depending on what the efficacy is, it may um, be, it may receive emergency use authorization. Now this one was tested in 45,000 people, so it was a big group. The nice thing is you need only one, vac one vaccination on this versus two, but we don't know what the efficacy is, okay? We won't know that until they make their, their information known. Um, there, as of what we know right now, there are no severe side effects to it. We don't know if those allergic, the anaphylaxis that occur with uh, the other two vaccines will occur with this one. That's something that um, we need to wait and see. So what's important is this one is different. It works differently than the Pfizer and the um, 
the Madeira. This one actually added a, a gene for the coronavirus, just for the spiky protein, to an, another virus called an adenovirus. Now, these are common viruses. We all have these. They cause colds, flu-like symptoms. You don't generally get very sick with them. Um, so what J&J did was they modified this adenovirus. And it, so it can enter the cells. It can enter your cells. But it cannot replicate in the cells and does not cause illness. Remember that. Um, the good thing is they have been using this particular technology for decades. So they already have another vaccine to treat Ebola that uses this particular virus, this particular technology. Um, and they're using it for things like, they're testing it out for things like HIV and Zika. So there are, this one is a proven technology. Now, the, the other vaccine that you may be hearing about is one by AstraZeneca and Oxford. This has already been received emergency use authorization in Britain and India and Mexico and a few other small countries around the world. It is not seeking approval in the United States. Now, this one was tested in 23,000 people and it has a 70% efficacy rate. So, you know, that's still pretty good. And there are no severe side effects with this one also. This one also uses an adenovirus and they've been using this particular technology before, so they, they know this. One of the reasons that they are not applying for authorization in the United States is everybody in the world needs to be vaccinated. When AstraZeneca and Oxford made the decision to get, go forward with this, they are aiming more for uh, other parts of the world than just the U.S. So that's why they've been one of the vaccines that has been authorized in more countries than, um, say, the Pfizer vaccine. So, okay, challenges. There are still a lot of challenges associated with this. So right now, I'm sure you're hearing about the mutations that have come out of the UK and South Africa. For example, my niece lives in the UK. They have basically, they have shut the country down again for the third time. While these, these particular mutations are more contagious, they are not more deadly. But more people will become infected with them. Therefore, more people may end up in the hospital and more people may end up dead because more people get infected with them. And the CDC is now anticipating that the British, the UK mutation will become the predominant mutation in the United States by sometime in March. Mm. So, yeah, this is, you know, this is important. Uh, this means we still need our masks. We still need to social distance. We still need to wash our hands. You know, even if you get the vaccine, we still need to do all of this stuff. Absolutely. So, questions. Can, can the current COVID test pick up the mutation? Right now, yes. There is, there is a small potential that they won't pick it up, but so far the current COVID tests are picking up these these two mutations. 
but it depends on what future mutations may happen. We don't know whether those COVID whether those COVID tests will continue. Um, and the other big question I'm sure you're asking, I don't know if you're asking yourself, but scientists sure are and people who are working <laughs> in vaccines, will these vaccines work against mutations? Right. Yes, they will. As of right now, for these particular two mutations, these vaccines will work with, they'll work and protect against the mutations because they target a different part of the virus than what mutated. So it's really important to understand that last sentence because more mutations will happen. This virus has been continually mutating since it since it was brought forth into the world, however that happened. Right now, these vaccines will work because it's a different part of the virus. If the virus mutates where these vaccines currently work, which is on the spikes, all these vaccines work on the little protein spikes that you see off of a COVID, then it may not work. But at this point, we don't know whether those vaccines, whether that will happen. We don't know how long the vaccines will last. Um, right now, evidence shows that they will last up to a year. So this may become another variation of the flu vaccine, that everybody gets a flu vaccine every summer and fall. Yep. So that may be what it is. Or this may provide lifetime immunity similar to what you see with um, measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine. Once you get it, you're good. Or it may be like a tetanus. You get one every 10 years. But in the meantime, we still have to maintain masks, social distancing, and washing our hands. Because while it is highly unlikely that someone who has been vaccinated will get will get it again or pass it on to somebody else not everybody else has been vaccinated yet do we know why the Pfizer vaccine uh, is not effective for people with pulmonary or cardiac issues or has it just not been tested with these individuals it has not been tested do you know is, are there other are plans or is it just the rollout and then just kind of just wait and see the results well, okay, so right now, all of the drug companies are continuing their va their vaccine trials. So they're adjusting doses, they're including more groups, they're adjusting age groups. As I said, Modera has dropped their age group to 12. So I believe that Pfizer has actually expanded their trials and are including people with chronic pulmonary disease and cardiac disease. It was just in the first pass, they decided not to not to include them. Okay. Do we know who's paying for these vaccines? Is it the federal or, or state governments? So the way this works is the vaccine is covered by the federal government, but the person who is administering the vaccine may charge you for the administration of it. So for example, if you get your vaccine shot at Safeway, they may charge you a copay that covers their administration cost. If that happens, you can submit that pay, you can submit that bill to your insurance company. 
or to Medicare. And if you do not have insurance, there is another, you can submit it through the Health Resource, Health Resources, Health Resource Service Administration. They have a fund that will provide coverage for people who have no insurance. One other question, Cheryl, is you've been in this industry for over 30 years. What do you say to people that have hesitancy about these vaccines and, and, and getting a vaccine so early in the process? By the time most of us get the vaccine, we're not that early in the process. But given the severity of the COVID and nobody knows how you're going to react when you get it, I it's worth it because the side effects are almost minimal to the vaccines. They seem to have long-term, like they're highly effective and they don't seem to have any long-term side effects so far that they've found. So I don't see anything wrong with that. I can hardly wait until my tear comes up and I'll be as close in line as I possibly can because I and want out. I want out of my house. Yeah. And as you mentioned, the main thing is for people to continue to respect, uh, you know, others when it comes to the social distancing and masks, even when you do get the vaccine. Yeah. because Just because you have the vaccine doesn't mean your neighbor has the vaccine. And you should still get the vaccine even if you've had COVID. Because especially people who've had minor cases of COVID, they don't have a lot of ad antibodies in their in their system and they can get COVID again and who's to say the second one will be mild right I mean so even if you've had it get the vaccine very good well how can people find you Cheryl okay so I own a company called Sensory you can reach me at 1-888-697-6922 you can send me an email at info at sensere.com or you can, re- you can reach me through my website, which is sensere, S-I-N-C-E-R-A-E.com. Very good. As far as knowledgeable aging, um, we put all of our webinars on our website, also on YouTube. I encourage you to go to YouTube, type in knowledgeable aging, subscribe. We update the YouTube page at least four to five times per week. If podcasts are your thing, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, etc. Till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.